general nerdery. It's the movie that launched a thousand lazy-ass Halloween costumes, and apparently a wrestler that I'm told is kind of popular. This week, General Nerdery is going to discuss The Crow. Dude, we're coming down from the fucking rafters for this one. <laughs> Welcome to General Nerdery. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And this week we have a guest that I did not know was coming, but I'm pretty happy about it, with Danny here. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah, Danny, this is your first time over on our show. I know, right? Rather than Zach being on our show. Yeah, which is super <laughs> confusing when you put it that way. Uh, Danny is co-host over on Fried Squirms, and me being on Fried Squirms is actually what led to General Nerdery here. Uh, Danny, hit us with your, your nerd credentials, as it were, other than I do a horror movie podcast. Well, that part is absolutely true. Uh, aside from that, nerdery-wise... Um, you know, I like pop culture stuff. I'm a product of the 80s slash 90s. So uh, nostalgia, reign supreme. Uh, everything from, you know, 80s movies, uh, coming of age movies, horror movies, things of that nature, to, um, I don't know, video games. I like, you know, video games a lot. I never really got big into comics. I was always around them, but just never really delved into them. I was more or less like one of those who would maybe pick up you know, graphic novel here and there, just kind of scan. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. But just for whatever reasons, never really got into it. But I do appreciate it. I appreciate the art, the storytelling, uh, everything that goes into it. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'll say I ended up being the one to invite Danny on because the further it got into the week where we're doing The Crow, the more it's like, this isn't enough of a horror movie for us to do it on Fried Squirms. No, this would be the lamest fucking thing to do something on also doesn't feel right not having Danny on. No, and it's perfect. Because it's, it's just enough being horror-adjacent, gothic-adjacent, well, gothic, 90s goth to the fucking max. Look, but. it pretty much inspired <laughs> the emo scene of the early 2000s. Let's wow. be honest here. Like, So, in came Danny... We'll get to all to talking about all the different aspects of the crow. First, what have we all been ingesting media-wise? I'm going to be saving week? mine for last because I'm excited to see your reaction for it. Okay. So, Danny, how about you? Ingesting media-wise? Yeah. So, uh, any video games, gotcha. movies, music, whatever. Okay. So, let's go video game. First, I have been getting my feet back into playing The Witcher Part 3. Yeah. So I do enjoy that one. I'm real bad at playing RPGs up to a certain point because I get sidetracked on side missions. You completely forget what. And then doing. yeah, by the time I get back to the main storyline, I'm like, oh, what the fuck was I doing? So that's my mo in terms of RPGs and video game playing. So as far as that, like I said, Witcher Three, FIFA, uh, some Gears of War, nice. uh, a little bit of Tony Hawk's One and Two. Yeah, man, that's been fun. Uh, Music-wise, just latest, um, <laughs> believe it or not, been getting into Sade. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I like Sade a lot, not going to lie. So I've been listening to her and some Pink Floyd throughout the week. Sweet. And uh, novel-wise, books, haven't really delved into anything. And show-wise, I've been watching Dark. Nice. So, yeah. I keep hearing Dark's really good. I just haven't gotten into it yet. It gets complicated, right? Like, it's all convoluted. It, it does, it does, but then it explains itself, so that way you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. It's confusing, but... But it does uh, have resolve. Yeah, as we've discussed on the show a lot, the list of, oh, I've heard good things, I should check that out, especially when you're working a full-time job, is just... It grows. It's every insane. day. <laughs> yeah, we talk about that, too, on 
Uh, yeah. Uh, so for me, I guess, ingesting this week, or we're recording on a weird day as well. We break, This happens. <laughs> That's my fault. So uh, the big thing would be uh, finish the boy season two. Once again, especially with the things that they did in this season, I think it has been another Garth Ennis property that has been elevated by its adaptation. I, I mean, I'm not hiding the fact that I'm not a Garth Ennis fan, but like his writing, uh, it doesn't pop. Like he he's described superheroes as like the questionable medium of superhero comics. I'm like, man, come on, you write mostly for Marvel and DC. Like, uh, so I think having people that take his idea but also have an appreciation. For superheroes at the same time, I can see why that would maybe click a little easier. Mm-hmm. Like, people love The Boys. I'm not saying The Boys is the, the comic book itself is bad. I just. It's just uh, the comic is over the top in all the ways that Garth Ennis tends to be, which sometimes can get really fucking sleazy and gross. Yeah, it's where he loses me. He's like Warren Ellis without the. Oh, God, I was going to say without the charm, but we've learned too much about Warren Ellis to really finish that sentence as it is. But he also tends to have a lot of really, really good ideas. Mm -hmm. I tend to describe him as, like, the biggest man-child in the business, where his man ideas are really grown up and really good, and his child ideas are extremely, like, 12, 13-year-old trying to be an edgelord type shit. It reminds me a lot of Mark (laughs) Miller, who I'm like, oh man, his ideas are fucking great! And then I read it, and I'm like, this was... eh... So somebody taking those ideas and refining and kind of being updated to be really reflective of what's going on in society right now, that show is fucking incredible. Um, And then don't want to say too much about it because I'm sure we're going to end up doing another episode on it before who knows how long, but uh, the Star Trek Lower Decks finale. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. I've watched it four times. Three, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was a big chunk of, like, I just said, I watched it four times, like... We're not gonna get into it, but it is a legitimately great Star Trek. Like, not just this is funny, but, like, it's one of the better episodes of Star Trek I think I've ever seen. It, yeah. And I have watched a lot of goddamn Star Trek, just this week, even. I think, <sighs> the episode right before it was really strong, too. Was it the movie? Yeah, well, the yeah. movie. That was, God, that had so many callbacks. Um... Yeah, that was that was for it, pretty much it for me, though. I haven't been doing as much in the realm of video games this week as much as just, like, sitting around and reading The Crow and re-listening the soundtrack about 50 times. I didn't and... get to that. That's the one I was forgetting. I, I've got a bunch of stuff, but most I'm going to save them for next week. The one that I thought I'd bring up is uh, I have finally started Legends of Tomorrow. No shit. Which you have been bugging me to do since oh. before this fucking podcast started. So where are you up to? Oh my god. Okay, so I, I took everyone's advice and I skipped season one. Yeah, you can probably, yeah. The and only thing you're missing from season one is the fact that Captain Cold is amazing. Yes. And that's a bummer. He left because he got the prison break job, yeah? Or... Um, I think it was more than that because him and Mick mm. are, uh, are part of prison break. That's true. They played brothers on that, um, but uh, there was he he has his own stuff going on at times. I think there might have been some mental health issues and stuff too. I'm not positive. Though. And he's appearing because right now he's figments of McRory's mm-hmm. imagination. He's uh, I just got through the Christmas episode of season two, 
where evil Rip Hunter, a.k.a. Rory from Doctor Who, has tried to assassinate Washington. <laughs> and Cece, like, keeps... I'm not watching it with her, because mm-hmm. it's going to mean nothing to her. And it's not really... It's just not her bag as much. Yeah. But she'll catch bits of it, and she keeps being like, what are you watching? Um, it's American Doctor Who if they were really bad at their job. That's actually the best description I've ever heard, and so I'm going to sell it to her now. But uh, it is... You're right. It is the most fun I've had watching a uh, a CW show, God, probably since Smallville. Wow, yeah. And Smallville mm-hmm. was not good. I was just, you know, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It, it's really exciting to watch them enjoy it. It's really exciting to be like, oh, this is why people like it. And uh, in this era where I'm getting ov- like mentally overwhelmed about every 45 seconds these days, sitting down and just like, okay, let's watch them save the world by convincing George Lucas he has to direct movies. And every time people told me about that episode, I rolled my eyes and I watched it. And I was like, God damn it. Like... <laughs> How dare you be this good? Right. Oh. It oh, it only gets better too. It does really drive home how much I enjoy Brandon Ruth. Not even necessarily as an actor. Like he's an okay actor, but just as Brandon Ruth being charming mm-hmm. is great. And White Canary's the best character in the entire Arrowverse. Oh, easy. Easy. I enjoyed Citizen Steel or is yeah, it Citizen Nate. Steel whatever mm-hmm. uh, more than I expected to. Because Steel is a character where I was always like, oh, your costume is kind of fun in a retro way, but there is just fucking nothing to you as a character in the comics. Yeah. Um, three three seasons past where you are, he's starting to get old to me. But... I can see how that would happen. Uh, but he's still fine. I like him. And especially those early parts. I fucking love it. I'm so excited. I can't wait for you to I get know. some that's. I have shit. specifically not told you this for a week. Like, I was texting you... And I was like, no, 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 erase it, erase it, erase it. Uh, Maybe we'll do an episode when I finish the first season. Like, or not, finish the second season. Whatever. The, the first season you're watching. The first season that matters. Yeah. Because they do do a really fun callback to the first season in this latest season. But yeah, I think you'll be able to catch it anyway. It'll be fine. So, um, we do have a little bit of news. Perfect. We started off before we started recording by watching a couple trailers. Uh, the first one, how about we talk about The Watch? Sure. So, we've been talking about this forever, just because, I mean, we've covered three of the books now. Terry Pratchett's my favorite author. You're a Pratchett fan, too. Mm-hmm. Danny, you've never seen, read, watch anything? No. <clears throat> Did that, that was... trailer make any sense to you? I had no context or clue <laughs> or anything. How does it, well, okay, so how does it look to you No, I mean context? Very British. Uh... <laughs> The best description of all of Terry Pratchett's yeah, work. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I, I see the the humor, like mm-hmm. the angle they're going for with some of the characters, and um, I have a feeling if I if I watched it, I'd probably enjoy it because I do like a bit of you know British cinema, mm-hmm. British television, just British humor, things mm-hmm. of that you know, football, things like that. So yeah, I think it looks intriguing. Yeah, but I really don't know what it's about. Um, I do know Pratchett's daughter is fucking livid about it. Right. Which I can understand it feeling divisive. She but... and Neil Gaiman didn't sound very happy about no. it either. 
the in her words, there is zero DNA shared between her father's books and this. I don't know if I agree with her, but I can. I see... know I don't agree with her because <laughs> everything in that in that trailer seemed just insanely familiar from what we've been reading this past half year. What the couple times we've car- carried uh, touched on Terry Pratchett. <laughs> There's a description that Pratchett has, and I don't know if it's come up in any of the books that you've read of his yet, because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think you've met any of the history monks yet. Not yet. Um, where you talk about the trouser legs of time. Okay. And the idea in, it, it's his way of dealing with like the time stream or whatever. Instead of, instead of branching off into another branch, it is a different leg of the trouser legs of time. Mm-hmm. And that's what this feels like to me. Like this is not Terry Pratchett's novels watch. No. But there is enough connectors to it that I still feel it. And I feel like I am going to, even if this isn't a good Watch adaptation, I feel like I'm going to have fun watching this as, like, fun punk sci-fi. It made me want more punk sci-fi, like, not sci-fi fantasy. Like, why do we not have that more often? That's Mm -hmm. such a good combo. I'm still not sold on Richard Dorner as Vimes. I thought he looked better in still pictures than now that I've seen him in action a little bit, but... His... It's very much not how I imagine Vimes. It could be, like... Younger, drunker vimes, like mm-hmm. more guards. I mean, we know it's more guards, guards than it is. Yeah, uh, you're up through what men at arms. Yeah, wherever I'm, it's it's easily more Feet guards, guards. No, whatever. It's easily more yeah. guards, guards. Even um, I'll say that even from the whatever the last one where was he still has a bit of that sway. He is in the books much, even when drunk, much more like professional, standing straight attention as opposed to he has that kind of like. Almost Captain Jack Sparrow like move to it, and I mm-hmm. think it's also the the eye shadow, the eye makeup they gave him, which I yeah. Vimes would not have done that, but weird kind of punk rocky Vimes they're going for. Sure, yeah. I love their Lady Sybil. Oh, uh, she's not the giant Valkyrie that like we were promised in the books, and I would have loved that, but. She looks badass. They still did the wig thing. They mm-hmm. have her, like, firing dragons. It's weird vigilante Lady Sybil, but awesome black lady vigilante who uses dragons to fight crime sounds fucking amazing. Yeah. So I will roll with it. They did release a couple other clips. Uh, maybe we should have watched them. I kind of dig Death. They show Death in Ooh, one Oh, I of haven't clips. seen any of those yet. So I'll watch them before next week and we can talk about it then. I'm going to... That was the one thing I was worried about. And they do have Vimes meeting Death in one of the little, like, 45-second clips. It happens a couple of times in the later books mm-hmm. where, uh, to the point that Death starts calling them mere Vimes experiences. <laughs> Uh, so like if they that. can get that death, if you want to land Discworld, you have to have Deathland properly. I yeah. mean, he's the character that appears in every single novel, which is weird to say, but I'm listening to that Hogfather as I fall sense. asleep right now, which is about death and his granddaughter saving Christmas. So, well, uh, Hogs Watch, but as, as you do when you're oh, it's death. so good. <laughs> well, did, did we want to talk about the Monster Hunter trailer? With the understanding that we have almost no Monster Hunter experience between, unless you've played some. No, I've watched, but never really played. I played a little bit of Try. 
I've put two really, really heavy weekends into World and a little bit of time beyond that. That's about it, though, for me. My buddy Roar, who was on our Zelda episode, is a big Monster Hunter fan, and he has shown me some YouTube videos that are kind of making fun of Monster Hunter and how kind of fucked up the entire concept of that game is. If I'm going to wander around, find rare animals, and fucking murder them to look cool. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, but I, that's that's it. I've never played it. I don't think there's one for the Switch. Part of the reason why I'm like, fuck, I should really just give it and buy a PS5 is because all the games everyone talks about are on everything else. But I'm already not beating the games that I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, watching it did make me kind of want to play the game again some more, even though it doesn't look anything like the games because it's about a fucking group of soldiers from our world just suddenly landing in the Monster Hunter world. And nothing about it looks like Monster Hunter except for the monsters and Tony Jaa. Tony Jaa looked fucking sick. Easily the best part of what we had seen. Um, as I mentioned when you were watching it, the transported from our world to a different world has become one of my least favorite fantasy tropes. Because it's everywhere. Like, I really liked it when it was Forbidden Kingdom, that movie with Jet Li and Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. Although even then, I mostly just cared about Jet Li and Jackie Chan. Uh, dot hack slash or whatever it was called that came out when I was in high school. It was an anime that had the same trope. Great. I've seen it enough times that it just doesn't grab me that much. I much prefer let's just toss us in this immersive world uh, and go with it. It it is too often I think brought into from our world as kind of a lazy. Here's how we can explain what the world is trope because. The person clearly doesn't know. I'd rather you just show me yeah. instead of someone sitting down. And if you have the person from our world, you have to have all the characters constantly delivering exposition and explaining shit to them rather than what's harder is just telling a story from one of their perspectives and making you understand it anyway. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a trope. I'm, I'm reading a couple comics that do it, but it's... Yeah, it, I don't know. It didn't feel that necessary, and the people I know who do like Monster Hunter... We're like, no, I don't fucking care about military Myla Janovich. I want and here's Monster Hunter Myla Janovich. And she's been a badass action star for long enough that I can imagine Mila Jovovich already... Yeah, I have not pronounced that name right once. ...already <laughs> being in the Monster Hunter world. She doesn't have to be a badass army soldier. I believe her as being a Monster Hunter. Yeah, yeah. just start, you know, like, start the movie with, like, I don't know, a desert or something, and then coming in through the, the kind of hazy distance is Mila... Tell me that name again. I, uh, I believe it's Mila jo Jovovich. Mila Jovovich and Tony Jaa, and it'd be like, what's the plot here? We're gonna hunt monsters. Done. I have everything I need to know. Let's do this. The monsters look cool. I'm very actually much planning on watching that movie. I will. Tony Jaa looked sweet. His bow drove me up a wall as someone who actually uses a bow occasionally, but like... But it looked like a Monster it, Hunter bow. It looked cool. Because all the weapons is, look stupid and big in Monster Hunter. <laughs> it bothers me less with swords than it does with bows, I'm realizing. Okay. Because a big dumb sword becomes a club for the most part, or if nothing else, I've played enough Devil May Cry when I was a kid that I don't care anymore. But a big bow like that, I'm like, that would be impossible to use. And he's like throwing his hand away while firing. And I'm like, oh my God, that arrow is going to go anywhere but what you're actually trying to hit at that point. 
I just hope this is a movie that makes use of the fact that he is just an insane martial artist. If you have Tony Jaa and you're not utilizing that, then you deserve for your movie to fail. Uh, all right. Couple other small things uh, that don't involve things that you have to go off and watch to know that what we're talking about. They announced the lineup for the Green Lantern TV series that's going to be on HBO Max. Well, tell me again because I forgot, and also because we're doing a podcast where we tell people news things. Well, okay. When we first brought this up, we're like, "There's going to be who would you have guessed have been the lineup?" Hal they... Jordan and John Stewart. How far down the list would you have put Guy Gardner? Fourth? Uh, Fifth, maybe? Jessica Cruz. She was in my number three spot, actually. Uh, Simon Baz. Low. And Alan Scott. Real low. With, so far, apparently no plans to use Hal Jordan. Or Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner or Jon Stewart. That means they are saving those three for movies still. Or at least Hal and John. The lineup actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it a lot, particularly with representation. I did notice that they said, like, like in the comics, Alan Scott will be gay. And I am pro-gay Alan Scott, but that line always makes me laugh because he's been gay for eight years and he's been around for almost a century. Like, it, it was the New 52 2012 reboot. I have the comic. It's Earth 2 by James Robinson and Nicola Scott. It's great. You should fucking read it. But that is a pretty new thing. So to be like... Don't worry, he's gay. I'm like, sweet, but that that's not as like loyal to the comics as you're like promising. It's just a good thing to do. I have no problem with gay Alan Scott. I <laughs> run into the same thing with Constantine. I have no problem with bi Constantine. Absolutely no problem. But it was like a third of the way into his original run before it was ever mentioned he had a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. It was two-thirds of the way into his original run that it was ever shown him making any romantic contact with a man, and at that point, it was still not clear that he wasn't doing that as part of a con. It was a little ambiguous, yeah. Uh, it's in a similar way when people are like, oh, they're going to treat Hawkeye as deaf. Most of the writers can't decide if Hawkeye is deaf or not. Like, yeah. He's gone deaf like six times now. Well, twice, but still. Yeah. I have no problem with it, but when Three people times. reference it, like, it's always been the it thing. It is the fact. I'm like, it, it's not. But it's, it's newer, cool that we're doing it, cool. and I'm glad that we're doing it. Yeah. Yes. That's just the fucking comic elitist in me. I also really like Alan Scott, so I'm into it. Although, he's never been a member of the core, so I'll be curious to see what they plan to do on that front. I have... I did want to bring this up. I did hear one, what I thought was a really good heavy criticism of this lineup and it's the not including Jon Stewart when there are there's at least one generation maybe two generations of kids that grew up with Jon Stewart being their Green Lantern and they're the ones that not only would have like are already going out and purchasing all these things but all are also starting to have kids of their own there's a generation of people that don't know there are other Green Lanterns yeah uh, because of Justice League which is cool. Uh, I really like Jon Stewart. I liked Jon Stewart better before Justice League because he used to be uh, like an architect and like a kind of counterculture Black Lives Matter protester, basically. Mm. And they turned him into a fucking Marine. And there is nothing wrong with being a Marine, but they went from like 
he drove hell nuts because he fought the man to the man. Let, let me have a Green Lantern that's going to, like, call out racism directly as opposed to kind of the good soldier they turned him into. It's going to be pretty, though, because it's an HBO Max show, so they're going to be spending all the money on it. My only concern <laughs> is as much as I like Guy Gardner, it's going to be really hard to get that line right to make him likable in a TV show. I was about to say, guess who doesn't like Guy Gardner? You? This guy. Oh, he's a giant asshole. Uh, the reason I like him is because of one or two things where he's, you know, an asshole with a good heart. Really, it's Justice League International is why I like him. But he sucks. And in the, I think if I had inter, uh, been introduced to him in the modern era, I would have a lot less patience for him than I did when I was 14. Yeah. So there's that. We have casting for our Fury Road prequel. Good old Mad Max Fury Road. I heard that was going to happen. Uh, the witches Anya Taylor-Joy will be a young Furiosa. And then we have Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who was Black Manta. Thank you. And he was also in uh, HBO's The Watchmen. I think he just nabbed himself an Emmy for The Watchmen. Good for him. And uh, Jan Silent Bob reboots Chris, Chris Hemsworth. I knew you were going to fucking go with that. I knew that's, that's your go-to for him anymore. Please do not stick your dick in the hologram. Um, do not hump the hologram. <laughs> Is it still... God, I'm blanking his name. Director guy. Uh, 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 George Miller. Cool. I forgot this was happening. So clearly I am not super devoted to it. I'll watch it. I really liked Fury Road. I liked it better than all the other Mad Max movies combined, to be honest with you. I consider Fury Road to be maybe the closest thing I've ever seen to a perfect movie. It's like a toss-up between that and Princess Bride. It, it's everything it wanted to be. I'm a little scared of them adding more to it, especially because he did a prequel comic about Furiosa, and it was not nearly as empowering as Furiosa herself was. Mm. I'm excited to see Anya Taylor-Joy as Furiosa. Um, we're definitely, I mean... There's not something showing her up in this room, but her big breakout role was the witch, which is basically... Uh, which is represented in the, the room of posters here. Uh, and it, I got my other Black Phillip over there, too. So that's going to be cool. Yaya's been killing it. And then, of course, Crimson. I mean, fucking Thor's going to be in it. So I'm, I'm curious to see him all just fucking dirty and post-apocalyptic out. I'll be excited because it looks diff like it's a different kind of movie than we've seen Chris Hemsworth do much of lately. He won't be able to just be like affably charming and good looking in a Fury Road movie in the way that he is able to be in most things that he does. He's great at it. I just yeah. would love to see more range. He did some movie where he was a cult leader. Uh, it, it was about a hotel. Jeff Bridges was in it. Oh shit! Okay, yeah. Um. I always meant to see it because it was one of those. So like, either, but let's really good. like force him to not just be charming and affable Thor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to watch any and all Mad Max. So, look, if I watch Thunderdome twice on purpose, then yeah, I'll watch this. Hey, fucking love Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. That's the problem. Uh, and then I pulled one other piece of news directly knowing that Danny was going to be here. 
because Zach, no offense, but I have a feeling you're not going to have anything. To it's going to be nothing one. to me. I can already guess. We're getting a Dexter season eight. I heard some rumblings about that. Yeah. Michael C. Hall's back. That's awesome. I know that you actually watched the entire series. I, I not only did I watch the entire series, I read the entire series as well. So I'm familiar with both sides. Is it based off books? Yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm learning everything new. Uh, I only read the first one myself. I actually have it right over there. Yeah. Um, and then I only watched through Trinity. Okay. Well, I, you know, I would not have been upset if that would have been the end. <laughs> You know, but but oh, granted, Trinity is just good TV. It really is. That's arguably one of the best seasons, um, not just in that that series, but possibly like on TV during that time period. Yeah, fucking Lithgow kills it. So good, man. <laughs> I know the ending got panned. Yeah, it hard. I hate to say it like this, but sometimes, not always, but sometimes with Showtime, depending on writers and what have you. It can take a real bad turn. I've seen it happen with Penny Dreadful and, unfortunately, with Dexter. And it's like, uh, <laughs> those are two shows that really liked. And they just, they tanked. So, it can be hard to end something that goes as crazy as those. I mean, I don't, yeah. I've only seen like one episode of uh, Dexter and I vaguely know what Penny Dreadful is. But I know they're both fucking nuts enough that like, yeah, landing, and sticking the landing's tough. Actually, after we covered Pulps last week... I think you'd actually probably dig Penny Dreadful. I've been meaning to. It's just welcome to the list again. The show actually has the correct pacing to be based off of Penny Dreadfuls. Oh, it's amazing. It is, it is the first two seasons, especially the first season is tremendous. Weird things happening every 10 minutes because that's 10 pages and that's when the story would end when it's being broke up. It's awesome. Um, so knowing the Knowing the books and knowing the show and how they differed, do you have any idea of where they could go with? Well, I can say this: eight? if they're basing it off of the show, it would make a lot more sense. And if they decide to do that, I th I think it was ambiguous enough as well to it, it it could have spun off from there. You know, whether it was continuing Dexter's story, his son's story, etc. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see, you know, if they're picking up right after the facts or years after the facts. Well, so taking into account the actual time that's passed. Right. I was gonna say there's got to be some kind of time, and that ended what, like eight years ago? Ooh, yeah, something like that. Sounds right. I'm not gonna. Lie. I don't know why I'm commenting. on Yeah, this. I want to say when I when I moved up me. here to 2013. Yeah, it was like 2013, 14, something like that oh, when it ended. God. Nice. That was really, yeah. That was good. <laughs> uh, so that's just not something I thought I'd hear. It's kind of perfect for this time of year. Yeah. Go check out Dexter seasons one through three. Can't say much about the rest. Was there really only three seasons? No, there's eight seasons. There's okay. Eight seasons, but one through Up three season are... four. Oh, four is, four is yeah. Trinity. That's yeah. right. Oh, okay. I understand. Um, after that... It's, it's After that, it's, it's, uh, it's okay. I mean, it's up to you. season five and six are enjoyable, but they're, eh, you know. Uh, that's it for the news. Cool. Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back in, we will talk about uh, the edgiest of the edge. <laughs> the edge was a different wrestler. I'll take your word for it. I'm going to get this out there just immediately. 
I think that the entire concept of the crow is a really fascinating, like, personal exploration by the artist. I think the art itself is sort of dog shit. Like, uh, th uh, that, that's too mean. Um, <laughs> I think the idea of The Crow is great. I think the story behind it is great. I don't think the movie or the comic are very good in retrospect. I, the comic's weird because it's basically just a long tone poem. Yeah. That's super emo. Oh, it's so emo. I mean, 1982. But also just ridiculously ultra-violent. The movie, I actually... The movie, I think, is in a lot of ways kind of better, because at least it's a story. <laughs> and it might be because I had heard what a legend The Crow was my entire life, and then didn't read any of it till I was 32, because it's the first time it just, like, became available for me for whatever reason. I think if I had been 16 years old, I would have eaten this shit up. And I know I did as a, like, the movie, mm -hmm. as, like, 1920, right. you know, when it when it was kind of having its zeitgeist. Um, I guess that's, a, I mean, that's a good place to start. We're, what's all of our history? And, I, and I'll admit, this is another reason I wanted Danny for you to come on, because you are a couple of years older than us and might remember a little bit of that movie dropping better. Yeah, so... <laughs> This movie, when it came out in 94, I believe, mm -hmm. and to be honest and frank, I was thinking 94, I think I was in sixth grade, going into seventh. Um, so for for me, it didn't really land on my radar because I wasn't really into, you know, gothic things mm -hmm. per se. Probably a little older than, like, targeted a little older than you would have had access yeah, to. Yeah, and I, like, I was just kind of into different things during that time period. As well, you know, it's just yeah. playing sports and watching horror films, basically. Uh, <laughs> Not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, you're right. So that was kind of my bag. And it didn't really register until, I want to say like 96, 7, 8, somewhere around there. Because that became more trendy with the music as well. Right. Um, so there was a little bit of that. And you've already mentioned, too, the wrestler's sting took on that persona so it became even more available because I grew up in the south east specifically and that's like the mecca for wrestling fans mm. uh, so it was big you know the wolf pack and all that shit for NWO and WCW mm -hmm. yeah so well, um, that's when it registered a little 90s? bit more well Sting's been around for a bit oh, but for beforehand a while. he was like really blonde colorful. hair California boy yeah he, he used to like bright colors blonde hair it was like a it was a was that, pink, a, pink mask, right? With like a yeah. green edging kind of on it. Yep. Like, okay, so he shifted because I remember, I uh, my dad hated wrestling, so I never mm. watched any of it until I was older, and I still think it's kind of dumb. It's it is. Uh, yeah, you're not offending me. It, it is. is. Um, I stopped watching when I was a teenager because uh, I realized. But that. I remember <laughs> the Attitude Era was so popular with a lot of people mm -hmm. I knew in school that I picked up. Some of it. So I did not know his name was Sting, but I remember seeing that, like, you know, the action figures were next to the Star Wars toys. And, like, that that person was around, even if I didn't know who it, who it was. And there was almost, like, the one-two punch, too, because there was Sting taking on, like, the kind of crow persona. And then you also had uh, Raven. Yeah. Who was just, like, a grunge rocker. Yeah. But the sort of rocker part 
also fed into like the Crow movie where they change Eric to being a rocker rather than a mechanic like in the comic. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't. I'll be honest with you. I did not get very far into the comic book. <laughs> so where, where did you get to? I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> like five pages? It's been a hell of a week, guys. Mm. I'll be real straight with you. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm trying to think. This one, this is a weird one for me because it kind of goes in a lot of weird ways. The Crow movie coming out mm-hmm. is what spurred some of my early interest in martial arts films. Not because of the movie, but because of Brandon Lee's death caused a lot of um, talk about how both he died too young and his father died too young in a lot of different made-for-TV specials. And so then I started catching a lot of Bruce Lee marathons. Ah, okay. Uh, That's fucking roundabout, but yeah. (laughs) uh, Later on, uh, 1998, you have... Oh, I think it's 97-ish that Sting does The Crow. Yeah, I was say it's probably around that time period, yeah. Um, and I was huge in the Attitude Era. Uh, loved wrestling on both sides. Sting is fucking amazing. Um, especially once he got to that part and wasn't, like I said, the, the blonde and pink. And But in 1998, Crow uh, Stairway to Heaven came on TV starring Mark Dacascos. And I fucking loved that TV was that the, show. Oh, okay. It was the TV. I have not seen the TV show. I've seen... Most of the movies, sadly. Um. Uh, so from there on out, like, I was always, let's see, I would have been 11 at that point when the show came out, and just loved it, watched all, I think there was only 22 episodes of it. Every, you know, as soon as it came on TV, I think it aired Friday nights, and it was what I would do after dinner, even as an 11-year-old. Like, I gotta go get my stories in. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had shows like that. Uh, I think we all did. (laughs) But that just primed me. Like, I wasn't then super into The Crow. It's just that that's how I knew who it was. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, so then later on, um, probably around 18 or 19, when I first go to college, I re-catch it. Oh, it would have been... Actually, I take that back. I almost know exactly. It would have been... I re-watched it sometime in the summer before I went to college. And something about it at that point just super resonated with me. I think this movie is made for college-age people. Um, like, not as a bad thing. I just I, I also had that same resonation then. And it was from that point on uh, that every year, uh, whenever I get it, I'm, there's a lot of times just because fucking having to actually have a job that I don't <laughs> get to do shit on Halloween... But whenever I get to have the chance to do the movie marathon that I like, The Crow always leads it off. And following with that, I've probably watched this movie at least once a year since I was 19. And uh, I probably would have been about 20 when I picked up the comic for the first time. I have both... Well, they're uh, not in my no, house right now, but yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, well, because I also have another printing. Of course you fucking do. <laughs> I, have one of the, I have one of the earlier printings, and then when they put out the special edition, which is what I threw your way, um, which has a little bit of differences, like a much happier ending. I'm, I'm going to read it. I just... <laughs> um, oh, but there's other parts that are also kind of more emotional. I wasn't going to... Makes it sadder. Anyway. Not more fucked up, but more makes it sad. Um... Extended scenes with 
him being all lovey with his fiance. Yeah. Um, let's see. But uh, it was also around that same time with the movie, and however, for whatever reason, because I don't, there's not a real good reason why it like hit me the way it, it did. Like I was already kind of over that super '90s goth aesthetic, and like I've never liked his hair. Um, but and the hair's I hair's big for me, especially at that time when people were still calling me poof all the time because of my hair. Um, and I'm not skinny enough to really pull off that outfit. <laughs> As someone who had long straight hair, I was actually kind of a fan, but I get it. Uh, uh, but from that point on, the, the thing I always took with me and what has always kept Crow near and dear to my heart is just the simply uh, that it can't rain all the time. Mm, that's good. Um, I mean, even within the past month, I've, like, at work on a hard day, I've said that out loud to myself, just... To just yeah. sort of keep going through it. That's always just been my fallback. That that one phrase yeah. hit me harder than almost any other line I've ever ran into in a movie. And it's it's been something I've always been able to fall back on. Let's see. Where did I... I think my first awareness of The Crow was, of all things, my mom had the Crow City of Angels soundtrack. Mm. And so I, you know, in the phase where I was stealing my mother's CDs... Which one does? <laughs> let's, date, let's date myself there uh, with that reference of everything we all did. Oh, the amount of Patsy Cline I know from doing that. <laughs> uh, uh, Taj Mahal and Crow City of Angels between the two parents, which is fucking great. Um, and then I ended up watching the movie, the City of Angels one first, I think, because I was really excited because, you know, I'd been listening to the soundtrack, which I remember being killer, but I haven't listened to it in at least a decade. So it might be garbage. I don't. I legitimately have no idea. Uh, the City of Angels soundtrack isn't bad. I remember it being good, but that, I mean... I think it has an Iggy Pop song on there. What I remember for sure it has on there is the uh, uh, White Zombie, I'm Your Boogeyman. Nice. <laughs> that would have been right around the age that I had a definite, like, Rob Zombie mm. set. I rewatched that video, actually, earlier today. <laughs> um... Oh, I, and I'm like, do you really have to put your wife in everything? Anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then I don't remember how I first started watching this movie. I just suddenly knew when I was like 19, 20 years old. So somewhere around like 2008 to 2010 range, you know, my early 20s. Uh, it hit. There was some zeitgeist that everyone that grew up that was a little young for it when it came out suddenly figured out that The Crow existed and we all got really into it. I mean, when I say it launched a thousand lazy Halloween costumes, I am not kidding at all. No, that's true. That's college true. kids, and I don't know if it's still true because I'm way past college, but college kids loved portraying The Crow. That's a, I mean, it's a pretty easy it's outfit. It's a real yeah. easy outfit, uh, especially if they still had long hair. Suddenly it was just like determined, you know. Black pants, because no one was brave enough to do actual black leather pants. Uh, the The trick was to notice if they if they got the detail of the uh, the tape in the right spots after he gets slashed No one up. did. No one ever did. <laughs> um, so I guess the best place to start on this one is just a little bit of the history of the making of the Crow comic. Because, one, it's real fucking interesting, and it defines this story to me in a lot of ways. Like, it, it explains why it came in. Uh, the Crow was made by, what's his name? James O'Barr. James O'Barr. 
and it was part of Caliber Comics Press, which was a small town, like, in the back of a comic book shop. They got a printing press and started making comics, which is amazing, and was, uh, it came out in 1982, which is a very, this was a very 1982 thing happening in comics. I think it was 1982. Test me before we go too far. Uh, 1989. 1989. Okay. You know what? I'm standing by my statement. This is still a very 80s... Well, here... Well, yeah. I there's some interesting say, things about that. Um, <laughs> he wrote it in 81, 82. Oh, okay. And it sat on his shelf for seven years before he he did that with Caliber. Um, the incident that inspired it, James O'Barr, um, before he... He ended up, he wrote it while he was in the Marines and stationed over in Germany mm -hmm. as a way of dealing with his grief, because right before he enlisted with the Marines, uh, his fiance was killed in a drunk driving accident. On his, on her way to pick him up too, like let's really mm -hmm. drive home on, the, on the PTSD her, trauma of him blaming himself on that. On her way to pick him up because he had fucked up enough in his life that his license had been suspended. And, his... and for something stupid that he could have just waited to go walk and do the next day. Yeah. And he, I mean, and that's not his fault. No. None of that story is his fault. But he blamed himself in a very human response. And in his words, this was his attempt to take that pain and guilt and anger and put it on the page in the idea of, then I'll get over it. Which is not how therapy works at all, ladies and gentlemen. But it is a way that interesting art is made a lot. Yeah, and it's an understandable response, even if it's not necessarily what you're supposed to. No, be. and it can be a you know it can be a very good part of the process. Mm -hmm. um, and when I'm being really mean when I said it was dog shit, it's not. It is just it is a guy that doesn't make comics, making his first comic book to try and get these emotions out and all of the good and bad that comes from that kind of work. The the. I would say the lasting part of it is the fact that I think he does a really good job of getting his emotions across. Yes. Parts of it are kind of gross because of the way he exaggerates what happens to the fiancé stand-in. It's very raw. I will, you know, I'll just get this out of the way before we, because we'll talk about the movie. Especially in 2020, rape as a plot point, I was just not down with. Like... I'm not, I don't know why I'm like, oh, she got murdered. That's a bummer. And I'm like, oh, she got raped. Nope, we don't need to do that. Uh, but I just, it made me wildly uncomfortable and it brought me out of the movie. Mm. I think, I mean, I have a longer history with the movie in a bigger way, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I was really into it when I was yeah. 19 and have barely watched it since I was like 25. For me, it's just more like, okay... I understand it because of how you were feeling at the time and the needing to characterize your grief in a way that you could later kill. It was also a very 90s thing to really bring in that kind of edge of drugs and violence and sexual assault. And let's talk about the things that we hadn't really been able to talk about before in shows, but in a much more direct way. But it, it just... I don't like rape as a plot point. Like, um, if it's... You can make art about it, but if it just is a, you know, to motivate the male hero, mm, not on board. I, just, I mean, really, The Crow is just a story of revenge, because that happens, they get killed by this gang, 
in the comic, it's legit just random. They're high. In in the movie, they they change it so that there's somebody working behind the scenes and they're trying to get rid of them for economic and. He is the least sensical villain I have seen in a movie in a really long time. He is just like every... And he's fun. That actor looked like he was having a great time. Oh, yeah. He kills it in every scene that he's in. But, like, okay, so he is a long-haired, well-dressed, almost like frilly Victorian gentleman-dressed gentleman who runs all of the crime, sleeps with his... Racially insensitive dragon lady stereotype sister. Bai Ling is something else. I fucking love Bai Ling. Anyway. <laughs> is that the actress? Yeah. Or she's... She is weird. She believes that she was born on the moon. <sighs> Bai Ling, side note. Have Please. you ever seen the Crank movies? No. She's in Crank 2. Uh, from what I understand Are is she... Jason Statham? Yeah. Okay. From what I understand... If you've seen Crank 2, you know just how fucking batshit she is in that movie. Apparently, she refused to actually, like, do any of her lines from the script. I don't even think she looked at the fucking script. (laughs) And the directors just went with it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, from everything I've read about her, that tracks. I did read one thing where she talked about having lost herself in the, like, personality she created. And, you know drugs mm-hmm. uh and that was kind of sad but i was most of the time i was reading about her i fell down the rabbit hole of like who is this woman yeah she's insane but she's always interesting to watch because of it and i don't mean insane like i i mean just what she puts on screen is she refused to do the fucking script like, <laughs> that's the point i'm getting at like <laughs> well i'm like they're doing magic together they like they, they, like, screwed the lady dead and then stole her eyeball and burned it to learn the future. You know, let's, let's put a pin in that real quick. <laughs> I know you guys aren't as familiar with the comic. I'll bring up the big differences from the comic okay. real quick, and then we'll focus in on the movie, since we all watched that. The Spirit Cowboy, I know, is a huge... I got a the little bit to cowboy. Him. Yeah. Um, who I wish they would have actually been able to get those scenes done, because that was done with Michael Berryman. And yeah, I heard about that. Really. Um... The big differences with the comic is hurting the crow doesn't do shit to him in the comic. Well, in all of the movies, like, if you hurt the crow, it's done. Like, he is just a dude now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's not a part of the comic. He's just a, a, a vengeful spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit more up in the air with the way it's presented, uh, whether any of it's actually happening. Gotcha. Um, it it literally can be interpreted as just revenge fantasies, as he's either dying, dying or, or like in an institution um, or uh, recovering in his fucking hospital bed. And it also might just be that he did recover and is now out for revenge. It's never gone into as much, though. It's he's not pulling himself out. Though Obar's like also well, Obar's. I think cleared it up in interviews that he intends more for like the supernatural. He came back, Mm -hmm. but he can understand why people would say it's not as clear from the way it's actually presented. Well, and I do think later comics cover not him versions of the crow, which I've tried reading a couple of those and I just couldn't get into them as much. Even though like my entryway was un was him. Yeah. It was to which is, I think technically Eric Draven, but 
it's been since 1999 since I've seen that show. So, uh, fucking loved Costco's though. <laughs> the order he kills them in is different mm-hmm. because uh, one of the one of the gangsters' name is Top Dollar, which is the crime lord in this. So in the like you would think he would be the top, right? Yeah, but he's not. But in the comic, he's <laughs> not. T Bird's the top. And so they just made that make more sense in the movie. <laughs> um, and the other thing is in in the comic, a lot more ultraviolent. There's a lot more shootouts, and he kills the fuck out of people, and not a lot of super like mostly it's just like big splashes and it's all in black and white so it's not even like you it's just like oh somebody has something his bits are coming out yeah Yeah, his bits are coming out but there are a couple things like with him just like completely flattening someone's head into like a brick wall and stuff and with his bare hands just uh but he also engages in a lot more self-mutilation and just trying to numb the pain with drug use just trying like he's not even feeling anything like or, you know, the way he describes it is his nerves are on fire. Okay. He's always in just constant pain. And there's a... After he kills Fun Boy, he takes, like, an entire syringe of morphine and just shoves it into his neck to try to A little to different it. than the magical get-rid-of-drugs power that he randomly has in the middle of this movie that is never touched upon. He does do the scene with the mother in the comic. Oh, okay. But the girl isn't as big of a part. It's just a girl in the neighborhood that he runs into a couple times. And he does, like, try to, like, brighten her day, but it's not like somebody hit him and Shelly knew. I like the movie version a little better. I liked Sarah? Yes. Yes, Sarah. I liked Sarah quite a bit in this, even if it's the, like, 90s edge kid with the skateboard. Like, 90s tough girl with a skateboard. I've always admittedly enjoyed that trope a little bit. Officer Albrecht plays a much smaller part. Um, he's what is that actor's name? Ernie Hudson. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was killing me. I kept yeah. being like, Carl Weathers. That's not fucking Carl Weathers. <laughs> he mostly just runs into him after he blows up Gideon's pawn. And then later on, when the crow goes off to have his last shootout with T-Bird and all them, um, he leaves him the cat. Huh. Ernie Hudson's going to prison for a long time at the end of that movie. Like, if we stop and think about what it... Because he's going to be like, oh, this dead guy came back and, like, I (laughs) I, uh, killed, like... All of those deaths are pretty much going to be put on him. And it kind of looks like he vigilante went and murdered, like, 16 people. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, they're all, like, (laughs) drug lords and crime bosses and stuff. But still... Um, it's not how the American justice system works. <laughs> it doesn't end with a sword fight on the top of a church. Well, that's just disappointing. Uh, most of the gangsters die in different ways, actually. Um, but they're not... I I kind of prefer the, uh, the movie versions for the most part. Um, and for as graphic as it is, they don't actually show the way T-Bird gets it. That's just like... Almost the way the comic ends is Eric just walking up on him as he's wounded and like laying against a wall and he has a hammer and he goes, do you know how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Depends on the tune. And then it just goes to black. (laughs) So 
for the movie, since that's the one that we've actually all watched. Mm-hmm. One, Brandon Lee is very, like, charming in it a lot. Like, especially when we got to see little bits of him before he was the crow or the bits where he interacted with Sarah. I got why people liked him. And, you know, this is the movie Brandon Ruth died in. Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee. Sorry. Talking about Brandon Ruth earlier. Brandon Lee died in. And I do get why this is so tragic from it. I do kind of think this is a bit of a Heath Ledger situation of the movie would not have been nearly as big if Brandon Lee hadn't died filming it. Uh, And also, CC pointed out to me, Heath Ledger's Joker draws a lot from Brandon Lee's The Crow. Like, whether actively or not, that a lot of that version of the Joker feels a lot kind of like this version of the crow to me of the, I can see the that. instead of like the full clown, the kind of rough mm-hmm. face makeup and the straggly hair and the yeah. actor who got a little too into the role. Although it's not Lee's, I feel so bad for the fucking prop guy that accidentally got Brandon Lee killed here. A lot of these people have a lot to answer for, but the one dude who made the final mistake I feel for. Well, I mean, the prop guy, of course, making the mistake, but poor fucking David Patrick Kelly actually being the one to pull the trigger on Oh, yeah. I feel so bad for him, too. So what happened here is they were trying to save money because this was a low-budget movie. I don't think it was originally even supposed to go to theaters. Uh, From what I understand, I think it was at least being... Because Brandon had a little bit of a film career before this, mm -hmm. and... It wasn't supposed to do. It wasn't a huge hit. I think. I think it's only it was, made like fifty million against yeah. a twenty-three budget. But I think they were projecting it was going to do like thirty-five against a twenty-three budget. So it was going to make some good. But money. it was going to be his next step. Mm-hmm. Like people are liking this kid. He's Bruce Lee's kid. He is charming. Let's give Let's him give a bigger him this, lead. Like, and then see where he goes from there, especially because then this was also being put out by, like, Miramax yeah. rather than whatever he was working with before. And, like, this is, I mean, 94 Miramax. Yeah, Miramax was at the top of its this game is, at the time. You know, yeah, this is Clerks. This is fucking Tarantino's early stuff. This is uh, probably still just a touch before Rodriguez, but... And w- what happened is trying to keep the budget down instead of buying blank bullets they tried to make their own and through a series of unfortunate events because like the pro- the proper gun handlers weren't there that day which why the fuck were you not there when they were you know doing gun stuff yeah it was uh a basically a fake bullet had or no a a, a real bullet was loaded into a charge or something like that and he's supposed to, like, pull out the gun and shoot him. And he did. And he actually shot him. <laughs> was what the, the day before, they had used a scene with dummy rounds because they look more realistic than blanks looking, mm-hmm. going into a gun. The problem was with the dummy... They had made the dummy rounds themselves, I believe. And instead of it working the way it's supposed to, when it went off, the bullet got stuck in the barrel. Okay. They were using proper blanks the next day. And the proper blanks have the powder. And blanks have double the powder of a normal round so that you still get the same muzzle flash. 
and people not someone not understanding like part of the gun safety thing because they, they were not doing check, a good job here. Yeah, they didn't check the bar- barrel to see that it was clear. So you still had that dummy round in there. You had the blank being set off, and then he was only like twelve to fifteen feet of, away from them. Yeah. Poor James O'Barr got... I mean, poor Brandon Lee, but poor James O'Barr got fucked by this. Like, he's finally getting over some of his traumas. He's getting a movie made off of his tiny thing. And he he befriends the, like, main guy. They were, like, buddies. And that guy dies in a thing that, again, is not in any way his fault, but is while doing a thing that is... Lee is... Not Lee, that O'Barr is directly responsible for happening. Mm -hmm. Like... <laughs> He's yeah. the reason it's happening, even if it's not his fault that that person died. Fucking twice. This poor, fucked up kid. Yeah, that fucked with him for a while. He hated the movie for a while. He's good with it now, partially just because him and um, Brandon's um, fiance. fiance ended up becoming really close and dealing with their grief together. and. Which is great. It sounds like he finally started processing some stuff when those two started, like, being trauma buddies. But it sucks that it had to happen (laughs) in the biggest, baddest way. So, from what I read, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I I believe it was uh, the actor Michael Massey who played Fun Boy was the one who... uh, Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, because there was was a scene where he's, you know, shooting him Mm -hmm. while he's all drugged out, but... uh, Okay, so Fun Boy's the heroin one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I think I was remembering David Patrick Kelly because I think just being in the scene fucked him up. I don't oh think yeah, he did a couple, no, I don't think he, he didn't played T Bird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would be like, <laughs> that would definitely fuck. David you Patrick up. Kelly probably being most famous for the Warriors. You know, he was also in Twin Peaks as well. Have to know that, but yeah, but he's the Warriors. The Warriors. Come out to play. Come out and play. So this dude has yeah. a very specific role in making movies. Well, that was also a part of the appeal um, with Brandon Lee, because he was a fan of the Warriors, and, mm-hmm. you know, getting to act with David Patrick Kelly is pretty awesome, so they they shared a bond with that. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, this entire... So just tragic. Tragedy upon tragedy. S- Go ahead. I was just going to say, while we're pointing out people in the movie, though... Fucking Tony Todd. Oh, dude, he he was awesome. I will always think of him as Worf's brother from Next Gen. Like, I know everyone else is like, he's the candy man or whatever it is. And I'm like... Yeah, he is. I'm like, it's Kern! <laughs> like, he pops up... I, if I, I think I watched the Candyman actually once, which is unusual for me. Mm-hmm. Speaking of gothic, yeah. And I was like, what's Kern doing here? And I was like, no, fuck you. Like, nope. <laughs> he's a Klingon. You, um, oh, you might actually dig Candyman. It's actually about gentrification in Chicago. Hmm. Yeah, it's really good, dude. Sure, when it comes really down good. to it. Uh, I liked him a lot as, like, the number two guy with the weird glasses and that he played creepy. Th- this as That's much... another character that's not in the comic because it's not this organization. Yeah. It's fucking whatever it is, four or five random yeah. fucking methed out assholes just on the road. Um, and I get why they added this in, but they didn't bother to spend much time making the crow care about those guys. Like, the crow murders the people that directly assaulted his girl, fiance, fiance? Fiance. Um, and then is like, well, time to go be dead again, even though the person who, like, directly set up her death was still hanging out. And so Cece and I actually got into this long conversation of like, 
it's not ever well defined. What is the rules of being the crow? We know he has some powers. We know, at least in the movie versions, if the crow gets hurt, he gets fucked up. But, like, is it, you know, go get your vengeance? Is it your another chance at life? Is it the one I thought interesting? Like, it are the rules really limited? Like, you, ha- you can only go after the people that are directly responsible, not, like, the larger transcend forces causes. It's interesting you bring this up, because there's actually a deleted scene from the first movie that explains it a little bit better. The only reason people think it's that hurting the crow makes him vulnerable is because the scene that showed why he was really vulnerable got deleted. The rules of the crow in the movie, at least, because it's really, really, really undefined in the comic, is he's brought back for vengeance upon the people directly responsible. Okay. I mean, that makes sense with... So he had killed everyone that was involved in Shelley's actual murder. And that's why his powers disappeared. Okay. That would have explained so many things if they had taken the time. (laughs) (laughs) Because it later becomes, I believe in the later movies, an actual plot point that if you kill the crow, you... He's at least weakened for a bit. I think the crow still comes back. Like, the crow's technically immortal in those later movies, but... Yeah, those movies suck anyway. Like they got to the point one where they had zero percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the one with that Eddie was... Furlong, right? I don't know, but I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> uh, it's the one with the lady from Van Wilder in it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tara so that's uh, thank you, Tara Reid. That's um, and, uh, who's not a good actress, but I enjoy watching one her. of them. Yeah, it, that is Kristen the... Stewart. Not Kristen Stewart. Kristen um, Mary Jane Watson um, from the Sam Raimi films. Oh. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Dunst. She's in one with uh, Eric Mabius. Yeah, that was the third one. I watched that one. It's uh, it's all right, decent. The 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 Tara Reid David Boreans one is the Crow Wicked Prayer, which has Eddie Furlong <laughs> yeah, as <it> the crow. <laughs> and like sadness preachers. Eddie Furlong is the pro. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> when you look at some of the cast in some of those films, you're like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why did you do this thing? Yeah, so Mia me- Kirshner's in one of them. Oh yeah, uh, the second one, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Does is she plays older Sarah in that one, or am I thinking of someone else? Maybe. I, I no, can't remember. No, she's I like one remember. of the main. Um, I don't know. One of the other neat things with the casting, though, of the crow is that in the comic, the character of Gideon was purposely based on character actor John Polito. Who then they got to play Gideon in the movie? That's oh, so they—it's a Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson situation. Yeah, so that's actually almost exactly what he looks like in the comic. Perfect. I—he was very good as that, as like the piece of shit pawn shop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anything like? Did anything really stand out to you? To you guys? I guess like we're jumping around this in a big. No, I think way, the but... things that that brought back maybe that t- that time period in. Maybe some of the reasons so well. Yeah, so maybe some of the reasons why it's for some people it's stuck. You know, I was thinking, oh yeah, there's a couple of bands, you know, that definitely defined a certain sound, uh, like with the gothic sound, maybe a little bit of the emo sound. You've got the Cures, Burn, which at that time they didn't play a lot um, live. I mean, they do now, but. I wrote then. the song for the movie. Yep. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Uh, Nine Inch Nails does a cover of Joy Division's Dead Souls. So Joy Division plays a huge part in the comics. There's yep. like chapter breaks that are just like Eric 
just like fucking rocking out to joy. Not even rocking oh, out. Oh no, I'm like, doing the sexy poses. Yeah, he does so much like, in the comic. He does a shit ton of sexy poses, and there's <laughs> some that like some spreads that are almost just like cheesecake calendars, <laughs> and it'll just be like That's joy funny. division lyrics underneath him. You know, as someone who was reading some cheesecake manga like two days ago. I even the it, like it's obviously not targeted at me, but I appreciate that like that exists because uh... it's an interesting choice for a comic that is otherwise dealing with the author's grief to suddenly just have his main character in just all of the sexy poses <laughs> all over. It, the it, it's like the combination That's of hilarious. his grief with everything that people thought was cool when you were like the the goth counterculture kid in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. This movie has a lot of really good ideas and stuff I wanted expanded more that it just didn't. And, like, if they had tried to expand on everything that I wanted more of, it would have been, like, a 10-hour movie. It almost, mm -hmm. in some cases, felt like they were trying to make, like, a trilogy fit into a single movie with just the amount of stuff that comes up. And they're like, oh, it's St. Old Saints Night, Saint Devil's Night, Devil's Night, Devil's, Devil's Night, yeah. and we're burning, we're making all these fires, and then let's not fire do it, uh, fire it, uh, and then let's it. not do the fires, let's do just one big fire, and then let's just abandon this plot line forever, <laughs> because biling and because biling is being biling and top dollar gonna go be weird, yeah, <laughs> I like. I loved every scene they were in, but the moment I stopped to think about anything they were doing, I'm like, why? Why is this movie also not just about Top Dollar? Like, why do I want to know so much more? So, Top Dollar, uh -huh. his sword of choice that's featured in the center of his collection and the one that he uses to push through the guy's uh, throat when, yeah. is the six-fingered sword from Princess Bride. Oh, nice. That's great. That's a wonderful use of prop there. Hell yeah. Top Dollar almost looked like he would have fit into, like, Highlander. Like... A 100% Highlander. <laughs> oh, my God. He could have been on the Highlander show in such awesome. a big, bad way. He would have I, fit in perfectly. Like, I, I get why they didn't exist, but a, a shared universe like what we have of Marvel now of, like, Highlander and The Crow and a few other of that same kind of era of weird action movies that got in trouble for being too violent to some people... Would have I would have murdered someone for this. If I'm not so mistaken, week. the director is it Alex Proyas. He used to do a lot of music videos prior. That tracks. and what it what it reminded me too for that time period is how certain bands were featured in, in movies. Mm. And this is no stranger to that. And I think right. it carried on a little bit in this franchise as well. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's another thing that you don't really see a whole heck of a lot of anymore, but that time period was kind of, uh, reminiscent of it. Right, because, um, Medicine and My Life with Thrill Kill Cult both show up in the movie. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that reminded me of, like, Idle Hands and, mm -hmm. you know, a slew of films that did the same thing. I'm pretty sure this movie was just the origin story for the band Evanescence. <laughs> 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 I can see that. There's another song on that soundtrack, fucking dig, Rollins Band cover of Suicide's Ghost Rider. Yeah, Suicide is, actually, I think it's one of Bruce Springsteen's favorite bands. Mm. This is wild to think of. Learned something new every yeah. day. Um, the song Ghost Rider is literally all about the Marvel hero Ghost Rider. 
Well, know what I'm going to do when I get off uh, recording this. It's like, I think the, the lyrics start off as like, Ghost Rider Motorcycle <laughs> Hero. <laughs> okay, fair That's enough. That's awesome. Uh, I, but I, fits because Ghost Rider is powered by the Spirit of Vengeance. The Crow is a Spirit of Vengeance. I really love that Ghost Rider was originally supposed to be a Daredevil villain, and the editor was like, no. This character is way too cool to waste on fucking Daredevil, because this is before Frank Miller, too. So it's before Daredevil, like, mattered. Mm -hmm. He's like, you're not doing that. You're getting your own goddamn comic book about Skullhead Motorcycle Man. (laughs) Like, that's all they knew at that point, too. (laughs) And the soundtrack has a Rage Against the Machine song. Yeah, I saw that, too. That's pretty awesome. In 1994... Which so, is hilarious. Uh, that's pretty early rage, isn't it? That's super early rage with Zach sounding like he's like 16. Yeah. It's that, hilarious. I think they came out in night, or their debut was like 92, I believe. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, it was still fresh. Yeah. Stone Temple Pilots, I believe, is on there too, I think. Uh, Big Empty. Yeah. I dig that song. I've karaoke it numerous times. They were going to contribute their song Only Dying. Oh. And... Then Brandon Lee happened. Oh. Whoops. Nope. <laughs> um, when we talked about the Transformers movie, we talked about how it's kind of a a slice of time in like movie form, and this is very much the same thing. This is 1994. Yeah. In movie form. Like, and so I as much as I immediately started with this movie is bad, this movie is very good on specific things it's trying to do. And this movie was part of the wave that influenced pop culture in the way that resulted in the Matrix costuming looking the way it does. Oh, yeah. And the uh, X-Men movies costuming looking the way they do. I'm less happy about that one. But you can see it 100%. Uh Uh-huh. Black leather is in now, kids. And the trench coat. Mm -hmm. It, It did have this ripple... In pop culture, yeah, and it might not have been the only stone that was no, thrown no, no, but it definitely helped. Ripple, but especially once Lee died, yeah, and its cult status kicked in in a big way. Yeah, and it's wild. I that soundtrack, like Great. I said, I've listened to it so many times this week. It's so <laughs> good. There was, uh, I think, maybe two other things that really stood out to me in this film was one of them was right after T Bird's death, where you see the. Lighting of the crow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, that's kind of an iconic moment for that film, too. Was that a trailer moment? I th- it may have been. That, admittedly, Cece cracked up when she saw that. Yeah, that's I was like, oh, it's oh, stupid yeah. as shit. Oh, it is. But it became a thing for the next, exactly. like, two decades. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember it in the fucking Daredevil movie, him doing that. Uh, like, the Thomas Jane Punisher? Yeah. They make fun of it in fucking, um, uh, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> Pat awesome. Oswalt's character's like they're like we think that's gas and he's like there's only one way to check and he flicks the cigarette into it and it catches on fire and uh, Andy Samberg's character's like there were a lot of other ways to check that um, and that's you know it, it's one thing like he does it himself there I think it's, but it became the thing mm-hmm. of like what is that and the you know the police officer and like that is terrible crime scene <laughs> stuff no wonder no one trusts you like yeah, I thought that was, I was like, okay, that brought back some memories. And possibly my favorite line in the film okay. is from Top Dollar, where he and uh, Eric 
They run into each other, and he says, uh, quick impression. <laughs> caw, caw, bang, fuck, I'm dead. <laughs> I love that. That guy killed me, man. Top dollar is so good. I'm, His, yeah, he had some annoyed with it amazing like, moments so, in the film. Yeah, he, he fucking kills every scene he's in. I liked um, Skank a lot in the film, too. Oh, he was spaz. Skank. He was the one with T Bird, you know, spazzing out. Oh, the one that was following in the tiny piece of shit car. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, okay. that was pretty decent. I like that. That was cool. I really like uh, T Bird breaking down before his death. Yeah. I, I thought fucking David Patrick Kelly He's killed it. He's a really good actor, man. He's a really good actor, and I thought him just not being able to accept it and just yeah no you're not gonna no and the like whiny voice that he picks up there that is i say whiny but like a very believable understandable whiny i would whine in that situation yeah i'd whine too (laughs) (laughs) this this isn't a good thing for me right bad things are happening (laughs) now let's whine a little bit what the fuck uh, I was actually really impressed with the uh, special effects on the knives all yeah. in the, mm. the chest for the half Good. a second you see it. Even the the ninety four CG looked fairly decent yeah, compared to what we have done from that time period. It's to this day, I f- without knowing already which scenes they are, it's hard to tell which ones weren't Brandon. Right. There was a few. I don't know which scenes were. There was Brandon. a few that I had inklings possibly and i think it was some interactions with sarah i think it was in some of the close-ups where they were hugging you never get to see his face when she's hugging and Mm -hmm. you see her profile and vice versa so that leads me to believe possibly there were some stand-ins for that moment a lot of him running on the roofs yeah yeah that makes sense that's a digital face replacement and i believe him also playing guitar on the roof is there's a reason why it's all shot from behind. Mm, makes sense. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, there wasn't much filming left, if I remember, when he died. There was only supposed mm, to be, like, a week or two. Yeah, if that, a couple days. Mm. But there was de- but it was stuff that they needed. Like, so they had to be like, and, oh, shit, time to do some fixes. And like, I think scenes that they had to completely just cut, and that's why they replaced it with, like, him rocking out on the roof. Just... Kinda to fill time, which yeah, again is kind of mm. dumb if you think about it. But I would have ate that shit up when I was fifteen years old. I know um, I did because everything that like stole those kinds of ideas, I was eating up. So I'm not, I'm not positive about this because I didn't see his name in the credits when it was rolling this last time. But a few things I had read when I was trying to look up just a little bit of extra trivia that I maybe didn't know already from you know years of ingesting this movie. Mm-hmm. I believe Brandon's stunt double that they used as the body double for those scenes was Chad Stahelski, who is one of the uh, John Wick guys. Oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. And I think that because he's both of those guys that direct and write those movies started off as stuntmen. And I think that was his big break into being a stuntman was he was he. Uh, used to train with Brandon and he was very physically similar and so when that happened he's like you already know the guy like you know his mannerisms yeah exactly huh it's pretty interesting Um, music related maybe because this ties back into a little bit of um, the characters in the film I should say so I was listening to an interview directly with uh, James O'Barr I think it was from 2000 okay and he talked about uh, the music that he was listening to, and he got into the Cure 
and uh, Joy Division, which we had mentioned earlier. And he said what he did was for uh, the Eric Draven character, he based the face off of Peter Murphy from Bauhaus. Yeah, I see that in a big right? bad way. And he said the mannerisms, his uh, his physicality was based on Iggy Pop. Right? That one hundred percent makes sense. See that? Too. Yeah. Yeah, because he said he's you know he's a product of the seventies as well. So mm-hmm. he said Fun Boy is a cross between Iggy Pop and Jim Carroll, and Jim Carroll is the guy who wrote the Basketball Diaries. He was also oh. a poet and a musician and stuff like. So he was kind of a punk. Uh, icon in the 70s. Okay. It's like, oh, okay, I can totally see that. That makes sense. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, he he incorporated some of the musical things that he was into, and that's why you see him dancing out to Joy Division. His, his <laughs> dancing in It was probably moves, him in real life doing that. And the way he moves in the page. comic, knowing it was based off Iggy Pop, yeah. makes a million percent more sense now. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. Um you talked about crossovers, and it, there was another video I'd watched that there were apparently in the comic book series somewhere down the line, there was a crossover with the X-Files, and it was specifically with the gunmen oh, from the X-Files. Of gunmen, fuck it. Yeah, I was like, I love those guys. They're so good. Um, he had a couple of crossovers at some point in the 90s, because the Crow really brought Caliber to a point where they could do actually do stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not sure how what exactly all the numbers are and how they stack up for what was going on in that time period. But for how small Caliber Press was, like that, the Crow is a gigantic runaway. We could never have believed this would ever yeah, happen. Yeah, it sold a few hundred thousand copies, which is a successful comic book today. Today, yeah. Mm-hmm. So for literally, they bought a printing press and put it in the back room of the comic book store. Do you guys know the story behind that, or? Hmm? Uh, do you know anything about the uh, the comic book store or franchise? That, Not that really. Small? Literally just that. That it was a, a comic book store that decided they wanted to do their own small press. So, the 80s was a huge point for... Yeah. He said that, uh, James Abar that is, that they're, on Fridays they would release new comics. So he would go into a specific comic book store in Detroit because that's where he's from. And he said the guy that was running it knew that some of the kids that were coming in were kind of aspiring artists and comic bookers themselves. So he's he's like, let me see some of your work. And he liked some of what he saw. And he's like, I want to publish your work. And that's where, yeah, that's where he started the caliber. It's like, that is pretty remarkable. He knew that it wasn't the, like, he knew that there was a, an influx of these new guys coming mm-hmm. up that was really going to spark mm-hmm. this new trend as opposed to what, because he was like, he wasn't really making money of selling comic books but he knew that he had some guys that were probably going to take off and yeah, and do like something. the stuff's not there yet, but like yeah. the the talent and the drive is even if the the uh, skill level is not there yet. Well, part of the reason the special edition uh, of the comic exists is because of the limitations of that first printing press they mm-hmm. had didn't allow him to print it all the way that he had wrote it. They had to cut a bunch of they had to cut stuff. some shit. I do have to really respect that when he made the special edition, he redrew a lot of those pages because they were lost, but he found like old shitty copies and stuff. So it's not, you know, reinserting, reinserting, and the art is obviously way better. It is dedicating yourself to where your art was 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And as someone who doesn't like looking at stuff I made like two years ago, that is 
a dedication to the craft that I really respect. I reread both the not special edition and the special edition getting ready for this. It's interesting to note how like those weird art changes and stuff that there is a couple other things that he definitely did in the special edition. There's some extra shading and like the mm-hmm. flashback sequences that make them a little bit more dreamlike. Do you have one that you prefer of the two? Like is the sometimes... special edition. Oh, okay. It, it fix it's there's a couple little wonky things. Cause it was a guy making his very first comic mm-hmm. in the non-special edition. There's a couple frames here and there where like faces look really weird to be completely honest yeah that going back in the special edition it looks like he fixed from everything i've seen (laughs) um it adds back in a couple segments like the sparkle horse segment at the end um which is kind of really sad but it its symbolism is really nice yeah uh i got through the first sparkle horse like the the, when you first meet it yeah there's a in the comp we didn't really touch on it in the comic that's, I guess, another bit that a symbol of his grief and the accident is he imagines himself on the train into death. And there's he's being advised kind of by both the crow and another character known as the Skull Cowboy. And they're sort of trying to tell him how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps looking back out the train window. And as he looks out there, there's this beautiful white horse that's running through a field and then it gets captured in barbed wire. It's not paying attention and it runs into barbed wire and it gets all fucked up and wrapped around. And that's kind of just how it ends in the original version. And in the special edition, he adds a segment where Eric gets off the train and performs a mercy killing on on the horse. That's some grimdark bullshit, James O'Barr, but, like, good job at the same time. But it makes sense with the emotions that are going yeah, through the no. story. And, uh, and him dealing with the grief. And then it also adds in a segment at the end. In the original comic, he just goes back to the graveyard and lays down by their graves, and the comic ends. And in the special edition, he goes and does that, and Shelley's spirit comes to him. Oh, that's great. That's nice. Cece had a thought, and this is where I originally thought that I was going to end this on, but I, the more I talk about this, the less sure I am. If we had the thought of, like, if we gave the crow to Neil Gaiman, you could you just get a absolutely bombshell piece of literature out of that. Yeah. Like, even, same cast even. Sure, whatever. Make it a movie. But, like, you could get some really amazing art with someone like Neil Gaiman doing the script with the same ideas. But at the same time, it would have been polished. It would have been a much better story in all the ways that I was giving this movie and this uh, comic shit earlier. But I don't know if it would have had the power that some of these scenes have, because, again, this is such a a personal thing. Uh, Cece described it as, you know, since we're both artists, of sometimes it's not the best art that you make. It's the art that you need to make. Mm -hmm. And that's what, at the end of the day... That's what this is, was the thing that he needed to make. Something you said in there reminded me of the one other thing I really wanted to get okay. to with you guys and get your opinion. For at least, for about the past decade, a little bit more, they've been trying to remake The Crow. It's been in all sorts of levels Oh, of we were laughing now. about this, because the, the fucking cast lists they keep getting are all over the map and all insane. So, out of these... 
all of these actors have been attached to the crow at some point. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on them as Eric Draven. Luke Evans, who was Bard the Bowman in the Hobbit movies. I'm going to start off small, like... When he was younger, I think he, like, you... Draven has to be, like, 20 to 25, as far as I'm concerned. Like, Draven at 40 is just sort of weird. (laughs) Jack Houston, who did, I think, like, three seasons of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, I heard about that. No, no, I'm off. To I don't. I don't know him well enough. To... I don't either. Not really. Okay, now it starts getting into names for sure. <laughs> That's where it gets weird. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Rocket Raccoon is not gonna fucking pull off fucking Hangover. <laughs> uh, not As... now, especially. I mean, even ten years ago. Tom Hiddleston. He actually comes closer that, than yeah. most of the ones that I've heard being able to pull it off. And I think he would enjoy being so, like, weird edgy that you have to be to be mm-hmm. Eric Draven. Hiddleston was probably my fa- is my favorite of all the ones that they've had attached over the past 12 years. I think he would fucking kill it in such a big Again, way. I think he's too mm-hmm. old now, but... Also, I believe it was when Hiddleston was potentially attached was when their script was written by Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. That's pretty wild, yeah. He did one of the versions of the script. I think they tried to get the co-writer of The Watchmen to do one of the versions of the script. Yeah. I'm not sure who has the current version, but this is ridiculous. The latest person to be attached. This is the one I'm excited about. Jason Momoa. It's the worst idea of all time, and I I would so watch... Jason Momoa be gothy angry for like two and a half hours. Like, bring everything about that on. If this was 20 years ago, Baywatch Nights Jason Momoa, I'm down. Yeah, like Stargate Atlantis Jason Momoa at the oldest. Before he had muscles? (laughs) No, I still want the muscles. (laughs) I want fucking shredded Jason Momoa putting on that makeup and laughing in leather pants. Like <laughs> now Momoa was full on attached with he the was director into it too. Like, and then that got axed. Um, and I don't remember why it got axed. I think the same thing of people are kind of lukewarm on making it and people keep getting offered projects that are actually happening. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll go do that. Too bad. This would have been awesome. Um, and then uh, just a couple other names that were mostly rumors, never really serious at any time, but are still interesting to think about in the role. Uh, there was uh, Sam Witwer. Is he the Avatar guy? You guys will recognize him. I'm just going to bring him up. He was on Battlestar Galactica. He not the Avatar guy. Wa- did the, one of the latest seasons of Supergirl, not the latest, the one before. He's the guy that Starkiller was based on in Star Wars The Force Unleashed. Oh, him. I don't like him. Uh, I mean... I have tried. Uh, uh, He was a really terrible version of Doomsday in uh, Smallville. mm. And he was a bad vampire in a American sci-fi channel version of a weird, bad British sci-fi show. Okay. So he's... Oh, yeah. He was in um, uh, Being Human. Yes. I love the British version. (laughs) I love, hate the British version. (laughs) And he voices Darth Maul in Star Wars The Clone Wars and Rebels. That's right. And that's the role I like him in. I 
I am being mean again. I'm just mean today, apparently, guys. Uh, <laughs> Sam Witwer is not a terrible actor. I've never had a role where he's in where I'm like, fuck yeah, it's Sam Witwer. Fuck yeah, this guy's the best role in this show. It's just, oh, uh, he's here again. Okay. Let's see. There was rumors at one point of Channing Tatum. <laughs> That was a nice laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I like or hate this idea worse than uh, Channing Tatum's determination to play Gambit. Because it doesn't work in either direction, but in a different kind of 90s edgy with a trench coat in both cases. I can't. I can't see it. No. It's a bad idea in both cases. Uh, Ryan Gosling? Again, maybe like... 20-year-old Ryan Gosling, although his career would have gone such a completely different yeah, direction to do that have. instead of, you know, eye candy. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård. I know who he is, but I always forget. He's the... Uh, he's the good-looking. More chiseled one. Yeah. yeah. He's not the creepy-looking one, no. and he's not the... He, although he played Eric the Viking, he's not the Vikings one. Isn't he in... Um... He was in True Blood. Yeah, I was just saying True Blood. That's where he was at. Okay, yeah, another one I've seen. I don't have enough to have an opinion. I think he yeah. would be, he would be a little bit more believable in that role. He wouldn't be bad. No, no, no. I if you've done that. True Blood, you're kind of like have already dipped your toe in the genre. Uh, and uh, James McAvoy. <laughs> Wait, Professor X? Yeah. Why did we not get this movie? Oh shit! There's one other one that was not saying it'd be good, but that would have been interesting for sure. Oh, this one also gets interesting. Uh, there's one other one I almost forgot. Mark Wahlberg. No, just I'll, no. I'd love to have seen that. <laughs> just see how shit. Yeah. I got all excited. A bunch of other stuff, but no, we will not be having a Marky Mark Crow. Wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, Marky Mark and the Fun Boy Bunch canceled. Yeah. They have, uh, those ones were all more rumors, but it's been like 12 years of trying to get a remake done, so there's been a shit ton of people attached to this. I follow every step of this fucking development hell. <laughs> I would probably watch a reboot if it happened. Um, since it's such a product of its time, it's one of those ones that I'm like, we don't need this. Some movies you can remake, I'm like, yeah, it's cool, I love that movie. But others... It, it, if they're a product of their era, it's so hard to update that and have it work. That's a good point. I feel over the, over the course of this being in development, the the idea behind this remake and the messaging they've put out there has changed. Uh, earlier on, it was more like we want to do a more faithful to the comic adaptation, and now as we get further and further and further away from the time period it was made. It's been more like, well, let's do an updated version of the story for this generation. Which, I mean, if they're going to do it, I can see that. If they do one closer to the comic, I want it to be more of an art house, super yeah. gory art house Fuck, movie yeah. that we get down on all the time anyway. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> you two have fun with that. Yeah, I would totally be up for that. <laughs> uh, here's something real quick, not to not to interrupt too much, but I did see, I did see at one time... There was going to be a The Crow 2037. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you see who was attached to that? I didn't see what? who was attached to it. What is this madness? It was madness? supposed to be written and directed by Rob Zombie. That's the most Rob Zombie thing I've ever heard, though, so... I was like, that would have been interesting. I'm, I'm in... I'm curious to know Rob's thoughts on The Crow? Yeah. 
I feel like he's a fan. I feel like he's a fan, but it's also a little bit outside some of the stuff that he's definitely a way bigger fan of, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. So, huh. I know, I was like, that's... Also, I would more expect him to make the crow into a period piece about a mm. crow pre that would be pretty gnarly. Eric rather than a future crow. Like 70s grindhouse. I could see him doing yeah. like a well, 70s yeah. 80s crow rather than a like a 2037 crow. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, 2037. Crow 2037 sounds like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Like there was that Phantom 2090 or whatever it was mm-hmm. and there was a future anytime you put I mean even Iron Man 2020, which is something I am a fan of. Anytime you put that in there, it sounds like a Saturday morning cartoon. One I would watch, but... Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it reminded me of all, like, the different, like, Marvel 2099 stuff. Yes! Oh my god, I love Marvel 2099. Not this episode. Not this episode. <laughs> but that's immediately what it made me think of. I'm yeah. like, okay, you're doing that? That's wild. I don't have much no, more I, I can think say that's... on the crow. We covered a bunch of different aspects of it. We, I actually we, we feel talked about good. three times as long as I expected it <laughs> to talk about on this. Last night it's 11 p.m. and I'm like, oh shit, Don, I don't know what I'm gonna say. And she like sat down and like talked me through it because my wife is a wonderful human being. Yeah. And then, <laughs> well, I knew going in that you guys would have a little bit more of a comic book background and. Not necessarily that I'm I'm a movie buff on this film, but Compared I had, to me you are. Uh, well, maybe, but. You know, it's still one of those films, I think, for all of us, because we grew up during that time period. I know we were all different ages, but it still had a certain impact because it went beyond just that year, 94. It it went into the 2000s. Mm-hmm. It rippled. You know? yeah. yeah. So um, I, th- I think about it in that regard. It's like it didn't really, like, connect or land really heavy with me, but it did for a lot of friends around me. And oh, yeah, I... You- you were saying you had a buddy that was super oh, yeah. into it, right? Like uh, one of my buddies, Jason, uh, huge into it, man. So every year, Halloween, that's his go-to. You know, he's got his rooms decked out. He was huge Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee uh, fan. And speaking of which, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, is last year I happened to be in Seattle. So if you're in Ooh. Seattle, uh, you can go visit. It sounds morbid, but... <laughs> You can go visit the gravesite of uh, Bruce and Brandon Lee, and oh, I got yeah, the chance very, to do like, that together. Yeah, mm-hmm. not together. But it's not a very big plot time. at all. It's kind of unassuming, but uh, I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee, and you know, respect Brandon, of course. But I was like, that's kind of interesting. It's a little side nugget because I just so happened to visit it last year. So wow. that's yeah, cool. Kind of coincidental. That's awesome. Give um, it a shot. It's a fun. Pre-Halloween movie. It's it's a warm-up if you're going for something heavier. I was going to say, I my, think so. Good primer. my bare bones, for me personally, Halloween movie marathon starts with The Crow because it takes place on Devil's Night, yeah. and I try to do my marathon the night before nice Halloween day, and yeah. have it cross over the midnight mark into Halloween, at which point I'll follow up with, like... Um, House of a Thousand Corpses because oh, that yeah. starts on Devil's Night and ends on Halloween... Go Devil's Rejects because it's a direct sequel to House, and then f- finish it off with Trick or Treat. Damn right, that's awesome, dude. I've, I've seen one of those movies. To you. <laughs> but you know the way they all kind of it uh, the flow. Yeah, the flow of it. They uh, it fits perfect. I don't have anything else on the crow. You guys, no, learned a lot more than I knew prior going to this, and I think what helped me think about the sequels and readaptations and whatnot is it wasn't just based off of the Eric Draven character. 
it was like, like Ash Corvin. Right. And I was like, oh, that, okay, that makes a lot more sense because I didn't, I didn't pay attention to that. Going if they had just made Draven others. come back, it would have just, like, it was already bad, but it would have been right. worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have. It was, and you're right, it's already bad. Uh, all right. So, I mean, I guess, I guess we just got our recommendations. What are our recommendations? Right? So, mine is technically a re recommendation. But not one that, that just means I, we like it. But not one that I have done earlier. Oh. When friend of the network, <laughs> friend of both shows that are represented here, um, Jesse was on. Mm-hmm. He recommended a podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish. So I checked it out. Do you remember that? No Such Thing as a Fish is an amazing podcast. It has become my one of my go-to listens every week. Um, I was... I go to bed listening to episodes sometimes now. Uh, the premise is it's... Do you know the British show QI? I know of it. Uh, it was hosted by Stephen Fry for a long time. I can't remember the name of the gal that hosts it now, uh, partially because I've only seen one of her seasons. But mm. I've watched most of the Stephen Fry QI. little bit game show. It's one of those ones where the points kind of don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but they go on and you... It's QI because it's quite interesting. And they bring up a bunch of these interesting facts about things and uh, behind the scenes that like the fact checkers that are spitting things into Stephen Fry's ears are called the QI elves. So no such thing as a fish is the podcast done by the QI elves. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. And it's them, uh, the three main ones every week, bringing their favorite fact of the week. Uh, just whatever they found in their research, either working on QI or just because they are now the QI elves, you know, it's, it's what they do for their podcast as well okay. now. This podcast as we speak. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if on any of the episodes they ever spelled out their process, but it's obvious that what they do is they each come up with, you know, they find their favorite fact of the week beforehand, they share it to the other ones, and then everybody does their own sort of... Uh, independent research on that same fact and come back to the table with it. So instead of just the one fact, like you get the one fact and then you usually get three or four interesting stories that are all related in some way around it as well. And then it just goes around all three of them and you get to learn all these interesting things. Learned one, I mean, I was listening to an episode today, learned that there's a um, rating system for the accuracy of regency era costumes in movies based off of bill and ted's excellent adventure wow that's pretty awesome had no idea okay it's not widely used it's mostly at this point like a twitter account and it's five thousand followers or whatever but there was no baseline for that beforehand and somebody that was working on some stuff was just like oh was I, I believe they said that she was a copy editor and was doing some really inane, boring work and watching movies while doing it. And one of the movies that came on was Excellent Adventure. And when it got to the uh, them st- stealing Beethoven, she looks up at the screen and goes, these costumes are all starting, startlingly accurate. <laughs> if you can't do better than Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, then you did a shit job. I like it. No such thing as a fish. Yeah. Way to go, Jesse. Thank you. And I'm just going to keep passing that along because it's really fun. Looking up now. All right. Danny? All right. So thinking about the season that we're in, right, and being that you could say it might be a crossover 
for both of our podcasts All right. is I would recommend a novel that was uh, ad- adapted into a film, and that is John Dies at the End. Oh, oh I've yeah. heard of it. I've not read it. But... Highly recommend that. It's a perfect film. If you're not necessarily a huge horror fan, but you like weird shit. <laughs> I haven't read the book yet. I've seen the film. The film is fantastic. I watched that film on a train ride while I was moving up to Montana. So nice. <laughs> I have an interesting connection to that. Um, hard to describe. Involves a drug called soy sauce. Yep. And I mean, the title of it is John Dies at the End. <laughs> I've always found that intriguing myself. Just like, where do you go from a story when that's your title? Yeah. When you. Tell them what the ending is. You have to make sure the lead up to the ending is like pitch perfect. I recommend it too, and I haven't even read the book. But <laughs> <laughs> let's see. I'm gonna go with a new manga I discovered actually just like two days ago, and I devoured three of the four volumes already, and I have the fourth on order. Uh, the Way of the House Husband. It is the most ridiculous. I I am listing this as one of the two perfect comic books I have ever read in my life. That does not mean it is the best comic book I've ever read, it, it, but it is one of those things. It knows exactly what it wants to be, and it performs that flawlessly. Similar to what with you were talking about with Fury Road. Mm-hmm. The Way of the House Husband is about a character who used to be known as the Immortal Dragon, and he was like a Yakuza god, basically. Like, killed a hundred people of a rival Yakuza clan with his bare hands. Like, ultimate bad... But he meets this, like, nice kind of anime fan woman who's just like a house, like, just like a normal Japanese woman. Marries her and becomes a stay-at-home house husband, like housewife, house husband. And the entire plot is this dude going about his average day doing things like going to the women's volleyball club or like going to buy a DVD for his wife for her birthday or but the entire thing is done in these like stupid little short stories but the pacing and the tone and like a lot of the illustration is still done in the way that a lot of like crime comics are done or like a crime movie is done but it's you know him trying to teach his idiot buddy how to separate your wash Mm. Or, like, it, it sounds bizarre. Each story is, like, maybe ten pages long. None of them have... There is no overarching, like, storyline other than just they found this way to do this. And it's... Every single one made me laugh. Hmm. Like, out loud laugh. And that uh, there's things that I'm like, I cracked up at that and didn't laugh at all. Mm-hmm. Out loud. And this one, I'm like, dumb little joke. I'm like... <clears throat> That's great. Like, every ten pages, and that is so good. Nice. Hell yeah. That sounds It's weird. so dumb, and it's worth every second of your time. Hell yeah. Um, we're at my part, right? Yeah. Sweet. Uh, so, next week, we're interrupting our spooky season for an episode. We're still fucking cool, though, so it's okay. Because goddamn Disney is dropping Mandalorian Season 2 on October 30th. So So, we have to talk about what we didn't talk about in our first Mando episode next week. So Yui, who has been... I think this will make them our most recurring guest, because they did Quarantine Off and they did first one. 
will be coming back, and appropriately, uh, I recently dubbed them a Lieutenant Commander for completely unrelated stuff I'm not going into, so Lieutenant Commander Yui will be joining us, Generals of Nerdery, to talk about uh, the second half of Mandalorian Season 1. Yeah, everything we didn't get to the first time. Which is what I'm going to watch when I get home. I've already restarted watching it this week. It's been fantastic. I, I watched the previous uh, ones yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was like, no, we'll save these. Um, so, in order to listen to us talk about that next week, because it is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm so excited to have Yui back. Please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That'd be super cool. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, because the world is ran on algorithms, and it helps us, you know... Do get that. up and all that, and, you know, people search for things, and they'll be like, oh, look, General Nerdery, they're talking about <laughs> things I like. You're focused today. <laughs> hey, I'm creative. Uh-huh. I'm feeling visionary. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Oliver Stone. Anyway. Um, anyway, do that part of it. You can also go check out our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, check out all of our back catalog there. Uh, up at the top, there's links. We are part of the Earvern Podcast Network. As I mean, we have part of the other show here. Like all of the full members of the Earvern Network are here right now in this room. Earvern is in this room right now. <laughs> listen to the other shows over on the network. Listen to me and Danny talk about horror movies. We've already mentioned that a number of times, Zach. You can listen to me and my buddy Malark talk about <clears throat> war and war gaming and uh, war treatises over on the art of war gaming. Uh, you can contact us through the website or by emailing us generalnerderypod at gmail.com. Uh, find us across the social medias. Search for General Nerdery will be what pops up. We love you. Yeah. Danny, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed. <laughs>